Last week, uh, I pushed into this area we're calling Following Jesus, Being, Growing, and Doing. Really kind of challenging into this age-old question, you know, about doing and being, and those always seem to be kind of fighting one another in the church when actually that that is the harmony of God. The very nature and character of God is the being and the doing. And to call one less important is to describe parts of God as less important. To describe part of his heart as not as genuine as the other parts of his heart. And so we really need to do a job in our own soul of getting comfortable with the doing and the being of God. And, and so as we press into this, um, you know, I kind of started last week with this, this really kind of an observation. It's mine. If you don't agree with it, that's okay. Um, but it's shared by much of the clergy, at least in the West. And if you don't know what clergy is, that's like preachers and people. It's kind of an old word, isn't it? But God's people so often surrender the power of the gospel in themselves and for themselves. We surrender its power to bring peace and joy, patience and kindness. We surrender its power to make those kinds of lifelong changes in us. We, we surrender it. We let it go. We, we don't press into that reality. What we're forfeiting there is twofold. We then If we do anything for the world, if we do anything at church, we're doing that out of our own strength, our own guilt, our own obligation. We're mustering it from somewhere besides the substance of life that comes from relationship with God. And so when people are burnt out at church, and and that's especially pastors, More than likely, the issue is we're not necessarily overworked. We might be overwhelmed. But what it really suggests is I'm probably not experiencing the gospel myself. I've maybe doing too much doing and not enough being, but it really doesn't take all that long to be. It doesn't... I mean, I can be all day long with Jesus. I can be receiving all day long with Jesus. Or I can make him a bullet point in the morning and in the evening. I can get out my devotional on my phone and hear the, you know, the Gregarian chants and, you know, they read a word, you know, for a passage in a British accent and then a thought and a prayer. And, and, and you know, those are good things. I, I like those things. And I can do that at the end of the day. But that will not suffice as being a part of what God is doing and letting him be the gospel in my soul. So I think in that we struggle to really be good communicators of hope and the gospel for the others What we hit on is the verses in 2 Peter. We're not going to dwell on these. I'm just going to pull out two statements out of it. But this coming to faith in Jesus brings far more to the table than we're giving God credit for. And it says, by this divine power, A, we've been given everything we need to live a godly life. I mean, really, a life that reflects God. And B, the promises of that are going to enable you to share his divine nature. Those are the two pieces that come as a part of the gospel. It's a two-part piece. One is it comes in and it empowers you, and the other is along the way those promises are at work in you and through you. And what we said is, as Peter describes this, he says, now you're going to take that foundation, and what you need to do is add to that moral excellence and knowledge, self-control, patience, endurance, uh, godliness, brotherly love, and love for everyone. And, and the idea of adding them is the idea of practicing them. So now we have this foundation from God of faith. We have the safety and security of the gospel. We are now 
uh, filled with the confidence that God is on the journey with us to really transform who we are. And so now we make it important. We make it imperative that we are going to practice these things because these are a part of the new nature or the new character God is building in us. They are now important because they rightly reflect who God is. When we were singing that song today about God's patience, his kindness, his mercy, all those things are the exact things that we can practice his nature. All of these require that we respond, that we operate in them, and we allow them to make us different. And it's in that place, it's in that place that we have something extraordinary and extravagant to offer the world. In that place. Last week I gave you a definition of the gospel. We just have it up here. There is a God who loves you, pursues real relationship with you. He has made a way for every weakness, flaw, sickness, or disease to be healed. He can heal every disappointment, missed opportunity, hopelessness in life, in this life. He has dealt with every mistake, every regret. He has even broken the power of death to permanently claim your life and wants you to live with him forever starting now. He gives you unconditional acceptance, hope, and love. That's the gospel. That's great news. You can give that to anybody, and it's great news. The problem we began to look at last week is when Jesus came and said, I, um, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. To, to the Jews who were looking for a Messiah, who were well aware that there was this king that was going to make things right, there were a king that was going to throw off Rome. There was a king that was going to put them in the right place, in the right standing of an eternal king. They knew that. That was, that was code for the arrival of the one. It was wrapped up with healing and with deliverance, and all those things were in that for the Jews. So he says, That kingdom that you've been waiting for is here. Repent and embrace this good news. Embrace the good news. And then we looked at how did Jesus reach out to the world? How did he communicate this reality that we're talking about? How did he commission his disciples to do that? And then how did his disciples go do that? Again, uh, we're not going to really review this. We're going to pull out some points. In the passage, Matthew 4, 23 through 25, this just describes Jesus. He goes through, he's traveling. He's announcing the good news about the kingdom. And then he heals every kind of disease and illness. He proclaimed and he demonstrated. You know, when you have something as good as the good news presented to you, Wow, it's really hard to believe. It's really not necessarily a believable story. You know, here, I have this coffee for you. It's Starbucks, and if you take one sip of this, you'll live forever. Okay. Do you believe me? Sure. Do you want a sip? Sure. How do you feel? Do you feel different? No. Now you're going to live eternally. Everything has changed, isn't it? Sure. It's really hard to believe that every regret you have, every mistake you've made, can come under a healing power. It's hard to believe that you now have a God that gives you a full authority to speak for him in this life. Some of that's just, it's just hard to believe that everyday people step into those shoes. So that's what Jesus did. There were many people who proclaimed to be the Messiah before Jesus. But the proclamation and the demonstration is what brought 
entire cities to believe. And the people, they responded to this, whatever sicknesses or diseases, or they brought all their demon-possessed, they're epileptic, they're paralyzed, and he healed them all. Then Jesus commissioned his disciples, go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone. And he goes on down, he says, okay, and you're going to cast out demons in my name. You'll speak tongues in tongues. People will be healed. I talked about the poison and the snakes last week. If you want to know more about that, get with me. In essence, it's just about God's protection more than about a, a party trick. And then in Matthew chapter 16, when he finished talking to them, he went up to heaven and said, the disciples, what did they do with their commission? It says they went out everywhere. They preached. They proclaimed. And I want you to see this. The Lord worked through them. You see how they become a conduit? The Lord worked through them. To do what? It said, for many miraculous signs, for the demonstration, the Lord was with them for that part. So if we go back to the gospel, I have it listed here. We're not going to look at it, but we're going to add to it by going to the next slide. And this is a reality that you need to understand in your doing and being. He makes you an extension of his love, and his message of hope. You become an extension of that. Matthew 10, 7 and 8. As you go, proclaim the message, the kingdom of God has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Here's where it is. Freely you have received, now freely give. The gospel is not completed in us until it produces fruit in the world. If you have a fruit tree, it grows beautifully, but there doesn't really produce any fruit. The, the tree has not really achieved its purpose as that tree. It, it has the DNA of an apple tree, but it has no evidence of being an apple tree. When an apple tree has apples on it, everybody knows what tree it is. But when an apple tree has no apples on it, people go, what kind of tree is that? And you just have to technically know. Somebody who knows trees or apple trees can answer the question. But the rest of them, I don't know, it's a tree with leaves like every other tree. But when you see going down the road and you see an apple tree with, with apples on it, you go, oh, there's an apple tree. You see, the fruit is the consummation of our identity. Jesus sends out the disciples again, but I want us to look at this in Luke chapter 10. It says, after this, he appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two. Now, who were these 72? We don't know. He'll be one someday. <laughs> Proclaiming. Demonstrating. We don't know who the 72 were, but what we know is it was not the 12, was it? It was not the 11. We know it wasn't, and when I say it wasn't them, it might have included them, but it was more than the names we know. He sent out people. He sent out people who said yes, and they followed him. He sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, and he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the field. And after the Lord appointed the 72, you go down further, and it says, Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. What does that mean? I mean, you're in the middle of this power 
swing. Go out there. You're gonna, I'm going to send you as the front team. You're going to do the heavy lifting. By the way, I mean, that sounds like a lot of authority. This is somebody they know is the king of the universe is telling them, oh, by the way, you're going out like lamb among wolves. I can just see somebody going, yeah. I, the, the go out, the two by two, uh, we're going to, I got all that. But the lamb among the wolves thing, what, what does that mean exactly? I mean, we're the lambs and they're the wolves. The wolves get eaten by the lamb. I mean, the, the lambs get eaten by the wolves. So, so again, it seems like we would be going out in strength. So would you clarify the lamb-wolf thing? Now, they don't ask that in the text. I'm saying if you look at text and you're about to have to go out, when you're flying along the airplane, they say, okay, whatever you do, don't touch the green knob. There's a natural response. What does the green knob do? Not that I want to hit it, but I mean, if I was reaching for a chart and my elbow hit it, what is going to happen to me? He's sending them out in a hostile place. But he's not sending them as hostile people. He's sending them into an angry, lost, and hostile environment. But he's telling them, you yourself will not go as hostile. You will not go as angry. You will not go with an agenda and a chip on your shoulder. You are not going out to fight with them. You're going to go like me. When you go out into the angry world, you will not play by their rules. You will not wolf up when it gets hard. You will lamb up. That's what I do. Because in the world, it's always challenging you to wolf up. When it gets tough and things you're getting abused and things aren't right and you just need to take control. You just slipped on your wolf uniform. This lamb thing is kicking my butt. I'm pulling out the wolf. There used to be a saying here among some of our men in the church I did not like. I don't think any of them are here anymore. I'm not saying that's a good thing. In fact, I don't think that's a good thing. But I was just thinking, I'm about to talk about somebody. But it doesn't matter. Here's what they would say. Well, if somebody messed with my daughter, I'm going Old Testament on them. <laughs> what kind of a statement is that? I mean, we might think it's fun or it's cool, you know, Dad's going to pull out the shotgun when the guy comes over for the first time, whatever. And I know some of you guys are feeling, well, I might, you know, don't make me make a choice here, Bill. I, make a choice. Make a choice today. Are you going to wolf up? Are you going to be the lamb you were sent to be in very unjust and angry and hard places. What role will Jesus play in your protection and your salvation in this world? Are you going to take that role on your own? There was a wise word to tell them I'm not sending you to be like them. I'm sending you to be different so that you can relate to them 
there is something else available to them too. They can be a lamb. One of my more favorite movies from a long time ago, before many of you were born, uh, and I showed a clip here actually out of it a couple times called War Games. Um, it's back when computers had, you know, five and a quarter inch floppy disk things or something like that. Uh, if, you, if you watch the movie, it's really worth watching, but you will laugh at the technology. But with his technology, he broke into NORAD's big computer. And it, it, the simulation program took it over, and so they're about to, the simulator is about to launch a full-scale nuclear attack on Russia. And, and so it's going to be the end of the world um, because the simulator has gone crazy. And so... In the middle of this, what they realized is, you know, they can push the button and it got to be, we got to, now we're going to have to act before the Russians and it went back and forth and the scientist who built the machine said, do you think the Russians know that you're serious about pulling the trigger? He said, yeah, I think we've made that clear. He said, then don't. If you have the authority of the creator of the universe with you. If you have his protection. If you have his power. If you have his character. You no longer have to kill anyone. You no longer have to be preemptive in your strike. The creator of the universe has put you in a unique place to be a lamb. It's not weak. It's the greatest power. In the world, it can look weak, but it's the greatest power there is. When the 72, uh, um, I'm sorry, after the Lord appointed the 72, um, let's go down to verse 16. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? He is removing any distance between you and the Father. Your presence in that person's life is powerfully important. It's eternally epic. Know that you are important in someone's life. Know that when you offer them something from God, it's directly from God. God removes identity differentiation. He says, that's, that's my son, that's my daughter. He speaks for me and my kingdom. We, we can't get this from our spouse. You're not picking the curtains. You can't get that from your boss. But you can get it from God. Why would he do that? It's because he wants you to take on his robes and his clothes and be the lamb in the world. He is serious about the world being changed. You see what he's done? He's serious about what you and I can do because of him. Down to verse 17. It says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. And he replies, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. You hear that authority? Now, interesting, he's telling them that after they come back. He's assessing for them what really happened. He's drawing an accurate conclusion for them. These are, we would call them, in some point, we call them the takeaways. All right, so what are the takeaways? Well, when we read this, we see, okay, number one, we are powerfully effective in the spiritual realm. 
Jesus, from where he was sitting at a front row seat of the lightning show created by his people. We are powerfully effectual in the spiritual realm. That's number one. Number two, do not get your satisfaction or your glory from the fact that you have authority. Do not let that become your identity. Your identity is that you are a son and daughter of the Most High God, empowered and impressed by Him to be everything He is. That's your identity. That is your glory. So it's, we are effective. Don't let the power be the bling that pulls you away from your identity. Don't let that become the God. And then the third thing he says is, I have given you power to overcome every enemy I have. These are takeaways. They're pretty big, aren't they? I mean, you come back and you go, whoa, this was amazing, cool. We were like, he says, okay, huddle up. Now, before you get mesmerized by all that and say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go do a big town now. You gave me some villages, you know, send me to a big town. Let's go to Athens. Let's take Athens. We can do it next weekend. Here, guys, here's the takeaway. You can and will be, and I've called you to be, powerfully influential in the spiritual realm. Don't let that power be the thing that you identify with. Let your relationship and your place and your family with God be what you identify with. Let that always be the place that you identify with. Number three, that power is with you always. I give you more power than every enemy I have. Those are some powerful takeaways that God has provided. In the book of Acts, we see at least 10 kinds of signs or phenomena that produced evangelistic growth in the church. They were specifically called signs and wonders nine times. They include healing, expelling demons, resurrection of the dead, a resuscitation, um, speaking in tongues, being transported from one place to another. That was Philip. And in the book of Acts, there are 14 instances where both apostles and others preached, performed works of power, and saw significant church growth. The church grows where the gospel is strong. The church grows where the people of God are living out the full measure of the gospel. The church grows. This is not about church growth, but it is about the kingdom being received by people all around us. I want to skip the next slide. We'll come back to it. Um, I want to recommend a book. I'm an avid reader. Um, I think everybody should be reading six or seven books at one time. That's not true. That's me, but I don't think everybody should do that. It's called Power Evangelism. And it's, a, it's actually a simple read, and this is, a, this is the newer version. Mine's the old version. It was written years ago by John Wimber and Kevin Springer, and there was a, a group of theologians that got together not too long ago, 
And they still looked at this book as probably current and most effective for the church stepping into its role as people who actually know and understand the gospel. And they're able to demonstrate the gospel to a world who's saying, yeah, the coffee may make me live forever or it may not. Other people, they offer, you know, smoothies, and they say those will make you live forever, and they may or may not. And I've decided to drink smoothies and coffee, um, and that should allow me to eat donuts and chips and all those other things because I'm going to live forever. So anything that will make me live forever, I'll probably embrace it. So here's where we land today. For many of us, too often we need to be reminded that there is a spiritual dimension that is powerful and that is real. And it is favorably and adversely affecting every human being on the planet. The power of God calls on people, and the spirit of darkness, Satan himself, also brings influence in our lives through temptation, through addiction, through struggle. They're both real. So when the church kind of moves itself more into behavior modification, more into activities, more into self-help, and minimizes the power and the role of the gospel to transform, to change, and heal people. And it minimizes the role of the gospel to bring deliverance and hope to a world that just wants to be convinced that the gospel will be neutralized on a large scale. Now, um, so I want to say we have to embrace this is a spiritual world. And we have to know it's a spiritual world all the time. I want to have... Uh, I want to have Leanne, this is Leanne, I uh, want her to come share uh, with us. She had, she had uh, come to me with an issue uh, several weeks ago, and I was going to call her, but it's a little bit harder to call her because she's using different phones and stuff. And anyway, um, so in, in the process of that, uh, the problem that she came to me with, and I'll let her describe this problem to you, uh, seems to have been uh, taken care of uh, by her and the Lord. So I want, and what I really want you to know is, see the spiritual dynamic here. Go ahead. You probably need to move a little closer. I think what he's talking about is, I had a demon in my past, or several demons. I was with my goddaughter, and I woke up with bruises on my thighs only my thighs. One of them, and April has seen it, looked like a huge bite mark. I came to Brother Bill, he prayed over me, and I called my son and found out that there was a satanic Bible in my garage. I searched for it, I found it, and called my son back and he felt real bad that he had left it in my house. I threw it away, and there has been no more demonic possessions or attacks in my house. Thank you. And the other one I told him about last Sunday was we were talking about prayers and healing. My 28-year-old son was 11 and got third-degree burns to his face, his chest, and his back by scalding hot water. We were on the road building... Uh, one of the pizza companies when I got the call that he was in the hospital and near death. 
my boss paid for my ticket to New Mexico. Every person that sat on that bus with me prayed, prayed for my son. Every person on that job site prayed for my son. This happened on the 3rd of December. I got there on the 6th. He had tubes down his throat. My mother and we stood around his bed and prayed. On the 12th, my son was released from the hospital with no scars. He is now 28 years old. And I love God for that, and I love him for protecting all my children. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> we live in a world that has demonic influence. And you may think, you know, that sounded weird, and how do you know it's a demon, and lots of these things. But when you're the pastor of a church, you really get a fair number of calls to deal with demonic activity or what people are afraid is demonic activity. And so I get these calls actually frequently. A lot of times for people I don't know. They're calling the church looking for relief or they're saying, you know, so-and-so said that you would come over and, and pray over me or pray over my house. I will. I will do that. It includes the removal of demon and demon activity. That's what we do. That's what we do. We're going to talk more about that because I think that is a place that many of us are not all that comfortable, really. Uh, that'll be in the weeks to come. We need to know the gospel. You need to be able to articulate the gospel. You need to be able to tell somebody more about the good news than about rules. It needs to be far more about what God has done and what God is doing than where are you going to go when you die. That, that's way too late to start the story. Why don't we start the story with what he's done, what he's doing, what he is doing right now in your life, and the reality that I'm standing here and this is a God moment for you. Know the gospel. Know how to articulate. It's Jesus' love. It's his grace. It's his kindness. He's here to be a part of your story. And he's here in kindness and not in judgment. To have the gospel complete in you, we're going to have to know the gospel, be able to articulate it. Number two, the gospel daily has to be producing results of the Spirit in you. you we, we have to be people who are growing in kindness, growing in patience. If I'm impatient, uh, I, I know that I, it's, it's, the problem was with, with me. I shared my story last week about my frustration over the door, which, by the way, the door is already being worked on by the person who's going to strip it and stain it. And, uh, and it looked like it may not get delivered yesterday, and I told Melinda I will not sin over the door. Um, you have to go back and listen to the tape if you want to know, how are you sinning over a door? Um, it's the way you can sin over anything. You get angry, you get mad, you make it all about you. And, and uh, I was not experiencing the gospel. I, I, I released it for something less. The next thing is God's people. As people who carry the gospel, you need to look for and to ask God for divine encounters. Let me, let me describe a divine encounter. I'll, just, I'll, I'll show you one. Uh, Jim, could you stand up, please? 
We now have a divine encounter going on. How do we know that? Because the presence of God is here. And he has good things for Jim. He has good things for me. Now, which way is it going to go? I'm not sure. But this is a divine moment. This is a good moment. Yeah, many of these we dismiss. Now, let's say that Jim is upset with me or angry with me. Does that remove the power of a divine moment? No. It actually ramps it up a little bit. We now have an identified need. He's, he's upset with me because I did something. See? He's confirming it right now. And it was bad, you know? Um, so now we have, he needs to forgive me. That's healthy for him. That's a God thing. That's the gospel at work. I need probably to repent of something. I need to fix something. That is certainly divine, isn't it? Especially if, like, I don't really think it was all that wrong. But you see, there is God work. There's supernatural work that needs to happen right here. You see, most of the time, we just blow this moment off. We just blow it off. So I'm telling you, divine encounters are yours all you want. Ask God to open your eyes. Thank you. And he will reveal divine encounters. I was having breakfast with a friend of mine Wednesday. This lady that owns the restaurant, she walks up, she's clearing the stuff. So I asked her, I said, uh, so how are you this morning? It's always a way to start a divine encounter, isn't it? How are you this morning? If that just gets the fine button pushed, I'm fine. Then you go for the gold. How's your family? That one will get a totally different response out of every woman and most men. All of a sudden, she's like talking about how she had all this pain in her neck and it was running down her shoulder. So I'm seeing divine moment. I'm saying this is it. I said, well, are you in pain right now? No, it's gone. Oh. But the guy I'm sitting with says, that's exactly what's wrong with me. I didn't know that. Until she said something, I didn't know that. I said, then I'm supposed to pray for you. And I, and I, and I prayed for him, and his, his pain level, which was there right at that moment, went from a 10 to a 1. I prayed for him like four times. He was moving his head around, checking it out. Well, then the owner, the other owner, the husband part of the ownership, he comes out and he says, oh, what are you guys doing? I said, well, I was praying for healing for him, for his neck. He said, my wife has been struggling with her neck. I said, she said she didn't have any more pain. But if she's lying to me, then go in and get her, bring her out here. I'll pray for her right now and she'll be healed. He said, okay, I will. Now, I'm assuming she didn't have any pain because he didn't drag her out there. And he was a big guy, so he could have dragged her. So divine opportunities that we, that we move into are where the gospel flourishes. Now, I want to give you some words, and we're going to talk more about language because language does become important. And here's what, it's not like words are magic. I'm going to say it this way. Language gives away our heart. It, it gives away the position of our soul. Language will describe what kind of authority I really have. Oh, Lord, uh, heal Joe. I pray you heal him. Bless him, though. Um, if it's your will to heal him, heal him. Um, you know, Lord, you know what he needs. You see, there's, first place is I want you to hear something. Am I engaging in it? Not really. I'm taking a very passive role 
and I'm inviting God to do something, and I haven't even been clear on what I want God to do. But the Lord wants me to engage, to step in, and to use the authority he has given me to do the things of the gospel. That's what he wants me to do. He paid a price so that I can speak to somebody's body representing the creator of that body. And I can speak with authority. I can speak with love. I can speak with kindness. And I can speak with faith. Not because of anything I've done, but because of the gospel that is at work through me. Because he has said, when they receive you, they've received me. When they receive me, they receive the Father. Go in my name. I give you the authority. I am standing behind the words that you are declaring. Now, if you're a skeptic in this moment, I bless you. But I want to say, we can have all kinds of questions. And, and I have all kinds of questions. And when I die, which could be now or a million years from now, I'm sure I'll still have some number of questions. I can, I can worship and honor my questions. Or I can worship and honor the Creator who invited me into relationship through the gospel. I can decide which thing is going to be the priority. And here it says in his word, I put this on you for the benefit of the world. I want you to go set them free. I want you to tell them I love them. I want you to tell them I'm ready to restore them. I want you to tell them I'm ready to take away regrets. I'm ready to deal with addictions. I'm ready to get into the mud and the mire and the corruption of their soul. And I'm ready to dig in and be all I am for them. I'm here. I'm ready. Now, I don't want you to just tell them. I want you to convince them I'm, that's true. Divine encounters will change your life. Go after them. Step into your authority and take the risk. Practice your authority. We have to train, we have to learn, and we have to practice. Just like we have to train and learn and practice grace, and kindness, and brotherly love. We have to train and practice on those things. They're not necessarily innate for us to love our enemy, is it? Just doesn't come all that natural for most of us. Well, neither does praying for the sick, or even caring about the sick, for that matter. But we train in it. I want you to know it will redefine failure. Failure is not whether they were healed or not. Failure is, did I step into the authority of the Father? Did I speak the words of healing? Did I engage the Spirit with what He is really doing? Then I succeeded. And did the pain go right now? I don't know. Did it, did it, and, and, and part of me says, I have done my part. I have stepped into my authority. I have spoken the heart of God. I have been obedient to the gospel. That is always a victory. The Lord will work out the rest of it. We have to celebrate. We have to celebrate. When somebody shares what God has done, we need to celebrate. For you that want to be skeptical in those moments, I just, I encourage you. I would rather you celebrate something that turns out not to be true than to give up glorifying God. If you think you're going to be the fool, it's better to be the fool glorifying God than we get to heaven and there were all these moments that we refused to glorify God because we weren't quite sure. 
Now I want us to go backward to that slide. It's Mark. We're going to close a little bit with this. This is Jesus, a story about Jesus, Mark 8, 22 through 25. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the eyes, man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus had to pray for him twice. Jesus didn't quite get the job done the first time. I had to pray four times. We give up too fast, folks. We give up way too fast. We give up way too fast. My encouragement is pray for the sick and find out what happened. And if nothing happened, I encourage you to pray for the sick. And if nothing happens, I encourage you to pray for the sick. And when that's done, then I encourage you to pray for the sick. Because you have the authority to do that. That's what Jesus did. He took another run at it. I'll bet you the guy whose sight was restored, where he saw clearly he could pass his pilot test. He's glad Jesus took another run at it. He would have probably been super grateful if nothing happened. Well, at least you tried. He probably would have been super grateful just to see something. But I bet he would say, Jesus, I'm really glad you took one more run at me. Sorry I was a difficult case. But I'm glad you didn't quit on my particular ailment, if you would stand. <laughs>